Okay, so as we start, there's a lot of, there's really a lot of excitement as we, as we start. There's a couple of people who haven't been around for, for a few weeks. Yes, I am now a celebrity preacher. I've got a Britney Spears mic. Apologies for that. I've been trying it out. And I must say, I've actually been enjoying it. So it's, it's, uh, it's been great. But so today, uh, we've been going through a bit of a series called Dangerous Prayers or Praying Dangerous Prayers with the heart that our relationship with God will actually not just be a safe relationship with God, but that we would be those people who are actually willing to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want to live a life like I see in the Bible. I think you can put me down a little bit on this thing. But I want to live a life like I actually see in the Bible. I don't want to just pray these safe prayers. God, give me a good supper tonight. Please help me to not become sick from the food that I eat. Help me to sleep well. Those are all good and well, but There are certain prayers that we pray, and if God takes us up on them, our lives will be radically different. And one of those big prayers that I actually felt in preparing this thing, which is a bit of a curveball, is uh, to preach into this, Lord, give me a godly marriage. And this is, yes, amen. (laughs) There's a couple of excited people when I say this. So I know that there are two to three groups in sitting here in front of me. And for each of you, this prayer will have a different application. For some of you, all the single ladies, all the single men, this is probably a really exciting prayer for you because you just want to say, Lord, please give me someone. I can't wait anymore. Please just give me someone. Then we've got the married people. And I want to say, yes, there's a couple of you as well. This is still an incredibly important prayer to pray because what you are praying is not for a marriage, obviously, you're praying that the marriage you are in will be one that honors God and is a godly marriage. And then those who have maybe gone through rough patches in their marriage, we are praying for restoration in your life, however that may look, and that might need a coffee, it might need a conversation. But we are actually saying, God, when I look at the concept of marriages, please give me your vision for what a godly marriage is, because I want to pray for that. I don't want to pray for what I think it should be, I want to pray for what you think it should be. And marriages are incredibly important throughout the Bible. It's, it's one of, in fact, it might be the main theme throughout the Bible is this concept of marriage. Because the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and 2. It starts with a marriage, Adam and Eve. It's the first marriage. I'm going to get to it now. Why? We're going to dig into that. And it also ends with the marriage. The marriage that it ends with is when Jesus comes again for, metaphorically speaking, his bride, which is us, his church. And so an earthly marriage is, the majority of it is a symbol for the marriage supper of the Lamb where Jesus comes back for his bride. So if you are a woman, then you represent the bride of Christ. You represent the church, and now we are to love our perfect bride, Jesus. And if you are a man, in the marriage covenant, you are the one that says, I lay down my life as the head of the woman. I lay down my life for her. And so it's incredibly important because the way that we live out our marriages is like a preach to the world. If we do it well, we are actually preaching the gospel. We are showing what Jesus wants him and his church to look like if we actually do this in a godly manner. So it is, you get it, it's incredibly important. And I'm not only preaching this because there are a couple of new engaged couples, a couple of new married couples, etc. I'm preaching it because I believe it's something on God's heart. And so wherever you are in your journey, I believe this will be a message that acts as a foundation for you to look back on 
and say, this is what I want. This is what I'm praying for. And so I know you're excited to get in it, but what I want to do is uh, firstly just say that I am equipped to speak on this topic and I am not equipped to speak on this topic. So I'm not equipped to speak on this topic because I've, some of you will think that's a long time. I've only been married for five years. For some people sitting here, five years is like a little blip on the radar. And you think I've been married for much longer. And I want to admit firstly on the get, from the get-go, I don't know how your marriage is compared to mine. And I don't want to go there. Because I, I don't have authority from my experience to speak into your marriage. I do have three children, so I felt the pressure of that. But again, that's not what I'm trying to bring into this message. The only reason I feel that I am allowed to speak into this topic is because Jesus spoke into this topic and he was never married. <laughs> so I've got five years. <laughs> not saying I'm better than him. <laughs> not at all. And Paul spoke into this topic, and Paul was never married, but still, he didn't stand still. Just because I don't have the same experience as you does not mean I can't turn to the Bible with you and say, let's say what the Word of God says. So this is not Leonard's authority. This is not Leonard as a perfect marriage counselor, not at all. Our marriage is a work in progress like every single marriage. But what we want is not the vision of Leonard and Carla. We want the, the, the vision of Jesus and his bride, and that we find in the Scripture. So there's two ways to approach this topic when thinking of preaching into something like this. And I want to say, when I started digging into it, I thought this would be one week. This is going to go over a three-week span. There's just too much, like, I cannot do this topic justice even in three weeks. As I started digging into it, I just saw there is so much to say about this if we want to do it justice. So anyway, I'm going to try and do it in three weeks. And I'm going to try and not preach too long today, which will be a miracle, but I'm going to try my best. But <clears throat> there are two ways to actually approach this topic. The first one is to open up the Bible and say, Lord, when I need your vision for marriage, when I want to pray into that, I look at all the do nots in the Bible. And there are many of those. There are, there are many prohibitions in the Bible. So I just think if I stay within these rules, then I will have a godly marriage. Things like, uh, where did I, did I write this down? Don't get divorced. Lord, Lord as long as I'm not getting divorced, then, then I'm doing it right. Um, no remarriage except on valid grounds. Okay, Lord, I've got this rule. That's sort of, I'm trying to define what you want by the rules, if I'm making sense. That's in Matthew 19, Matthew uh, 5. Then I see submission. I'm like, okay, God, if, if I can only understand submission and, uh, and authority and leadership in the marriage, then I understand it because there are rules that you put out in the Bible in 1 Peter 3. Um, then there are other rules in the Bible if I turn to the New Testament. I'm, I'm explaining one way of looking at this, which is not the way that I'm going to do it. I just want to explain it to you, to look at all the rules. I can look at the fact that husbands and wives are not to withhold sex from one another except for valid reasons, which is discussed. You can go read it in 1 Corinthians 7. So got that rule. I, I know that I shouldn't cheat on my wife or I shouldn't cheat on my husband. So I can, I can try and look at God's vision and say, well, that's what I'm praying for based on the rules. But I don't think that is the best way to go about it. Because every rule in the Bible, every prohibition has a reason for it. If there's ever a rule in the Bible, there is a reason for that rule. For instance, I didn't write this down, it was in my notes initially, but in the Old Testament there's a rule that says that when you build a new house, you are to build a parapet on the roof, it's like a little wall. And you're like, okay, I can do it God's way. But what is that teaching me about God? And then right the next verse it says, because God 
uh, God is concerned about people and he loves people and he wants people to be safe. So is it making sense? I can only look at the rule or I can say, why is that rule there? And the reason for all the marriage rules throughout the Bible is because God, the, the underlining thing is God believes in marriage and he wants marriages to be healthy and reflect Jesus and his bride. And if I understand that concept, if I understand what God's vision is for a marriage, then the rules sort of come naturally. And it's like, you don't have to tell me not to get divorced, obviously, because I understand what a marriage is. You don't have to tell me not to cheat on my husband or my wife because I understand what God's view is for a marriage. It's like our little, like our little daughters. Um, yesterday, we were at Reino's birthday party, and there's a swimming pool. And if you have children, you will know that a swimming pool is like a roaring lion in the backyard. It is extremely dangerous. A child drowns, but it doesn't make a noise when it drowns. They don't come up for air and start shouting. They just go down and you don't know they're gone. You can stand next to that pool and you won't even know. And so I obviously, I take our little girls there and I say to them, I do not want you to cross this line. These steps are off limit. If you cross these steps, there will be consequences. Look me in the eye, say yes, daddy. Yes, daddy. <laughs> right, so that's what I do. But if that's the way that I bring my children up, then it's not going to instill a value in them. If I get them to understand that I love them and I want them to be safe, then they can deduce for themselves that it's not good to go near the pool. Does that make sense? You understand the underlying value, and then the rules sort of naturally follow, and the rules make more sense, and you don't want to fight with the rules because you understand God's heart. God's art is for healthy, godly marriages. That is what he wants to pray, us to pray for. That is what he wants us to aim for. So instead of going through all the rules, which I'm not going to do all the prohibitions in the Bible, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the first marriage that was instituted by God. Because if I look at that, and this is the marriage between Adam and Eve, a little bit in Genesis 1, mostly in Genesis 2 that we're going to focus on, I understand what God's art is for marriage. And let me tell you, as I said, there is a lot to dig into this passage. So I'm going to quickly read you, uh, read to you just the first verses that we're going to focus on. But throughout the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on 10 verses. It's Genesis 2, verse 15 to 25. And today I'm going to do like the first, I think, two or three verses. So let's start with verse 15. And this is what we're going to look at today. The Lord God took the man, Adam and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat it, uh, of it, you shall surely die. Let me just pause here and say, many people don't connect this to the first marriage, but this is adjacent to the scripture that speaks about marriage. So we have to say, why is that connected to marriage? And we're going to look at that in a moment. So now it starts speaking more directly, but this is indirect, directly about marriage. Next verse. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Any amens? Amen. <laughs> amen. I think I've got a few amens. And the woman, it's also not good for women to be alone. Hey, amen. <laughs> I will make him a helper fit for him. And that's where I'm going to stop today. We can read the rest just so you've got context, but then I'm going to go two minutes over with my preaching. You can't judge me. Then the Lord God said, <laughs> now out of the ground, 
uh, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name, meaning he had authority over those creatures. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, just so he couldn't say it was his idea. <laughs> and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <clears throat> and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That is the first marriage in the Bible. That is what we're going to look at. And there is a lot there. So, I don't know if I've got time to go through this, but I, I just want to, I want to show you just... A, the last time, <laughs> I want to labor that first point before I get into the meat of this, of this passage. You see, when people came to Jesus and they wanted to only speak about the rules of marriage, because we can get so stuck in the rules, and then I'm like, I feel bound because I can't divorce this lady, feel bound. Jesus took them back to the heart of it. You laugh now, it's real. So here's an example of this, Matthew 19, verse 3 to 6. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking. They want to know the rules. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, and he quoted Genesis 1 verse 27. How does he answer them? He says, you're looking at the rules. I'm taking you to the foundation. He says, have you not read that he, and he's being cocky about it too, Jesus, because they, they knew that off by heart. So he's like, have you not understand, understood? That you created them from the beginning, made them male and female, quoting Genesis 1 verse 27, and said, Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, quoting Genesis 2, verse 24 that we just read. So, and then he extrapolates, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is of utmost importance for us to understand the first marriage. Are you with me? Have I labored it enough? Okay. Are you sure? I think all of you are just excited, maybe, to get into this. <laughs> So the big prayer that we're praying is, God, give me a godly marriage. Give me a godly marriage. But I'm going to break that down into three smaller prayers as we go through this passage bit by bit. And we're going to do about two or three points every week. The first prayer that I think we should pray is from Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17, that first portion. And the prayer is, God, help me do it your way. You want to say that with me? One, two, three. God, help me do it your way. That's the first prayer we pray when it comes to marriage or looking for a marriage partner. I'm going to recap that verse for us. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, listen to this, this is the knocker, you shall surely die. Now God connects this to the marriage, and what he's basically saying is an intro, like I'm going to start speaking about marriage but firstly, what I want to say is, I have a way, follow it, or there are consequences. Human beings are terrible at following God's ways, and therefore there are consequences. It's always been like that. 
And it's becoming increasingly worse as we go on and on and on in society. Initially, it was like men and women sleep around that they're not supposed to, and they catch sicknesses. There are consequences to those things. But we've always tested God. Nowadays, it's gone so far that we test God and say, we don't even know what a man or a woman is anymore. And God is very clear. I define these things. I tell you what it should look like. The world, society has no place to tell you what a godly marriage looks like. I am the one. And if you do not do it my way, there will be consequences. There will be consequences. So 1 Peter 3 verse 7 is such a brilliant example of this. It speaks to the husbands. Listen to this. If you break my ways, there will be consequences. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Meaning don't think that you're always right because you're mostly not right. <laughs> Understand her. It's, it's one of the most difficult things for husbands to do. We always want to give a solution and mostly the solution is not right. And women just want to say, just listen to me, honey. It's <laughs> all they want. It says live in an understanding way. I'm, I'm kidding about that. I'm going to try and not make too many guy girl, and it's not going to help to make too many of those jokes. <laughs> Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel means that she is normally, mostly, physically weaker. Her body is weaker. That's even been debated nowadays. That's why women try and compete in men's sport. Does not work. Serena Williams tried it. Not a good idea. First, best, <laughs> best woman tennis player in the world. She was beaten flat out by number 200 and something in the world. The women have been created as the weaker vessel. We could get into how God has done that for a purpose, actually. It's not a bad thing. Since, so it's speaking to the husband, saying they have been made weaker in body than you. Since they are ease with you of the grace of life. It's saying, if you do that, if you do not live with her in an understanding way, then your prayers will be ended. God is clear about this. Do it my way, or your prayers will be ended. I want God to listen to my prayers. And so we can even inhibit God listening to our prayers if I'm not the husband that God calls me to be. And so God is very clear. When we come into this, I think the first thing, please realize this. This is the prayer that I pray. God, in my marriage... Or in my pursuit of a marriage, help me to do it your way and not my way. Human beings have tried, failed. Divorce rate is through the roof. Infidelity is through the roof. Sexual orientation confusion is through the roof because people do not want to acknowledge that God actually does have a way. Marriages are declining. We're going to speak about all of these things. People are getting married much later in life, which is okay, but I don't think always ideal because I think there are psychologically bad reasons. So many things. We try and do it our way, but it just gets us in trouble. <clears throat> so that's the first thing. God, help me to do it your way. Then God starts. He says, okay, now that I've done that, now I want to get into the nitty-gritties of this thing. I want to start showing you the intricacies of what I actually desire. You do know that actually the marriage covenant, marriages as they stand, comes from this. The world has accepted marriages, but this is where it started even, right? This was all God's idea. And even ungodly marriages still reflect something of God. It's a beautiful thing. The next verse, I'm just going to read basically the, the first part of it. But basically, let me first say, the next prayer that I want us to pray, based on Genesis 2.18, the next verse is, God, help me with self-control. 
God, help me with self-control. That's a prayer that you pray in marriage or if you're not in a marriage. Help me with self-control. We're going to get into it for a moment. So what is the first prayer? God, help me to do it your way. Just say that with me. God, help me to do it your way. The second prayer, God, help me with self-control. Say it. God, help me with self-control. Carla's saying I need to stop and breathe. I'm just so nervous because Andrew Seeley spoke to us yesterday and he said we should, shouldn't preach too long. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> so now I'm trying to say everything that I need to say. <laughs> okay. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. You know... When I became a Christian, and I know exactly what people meant, but people said this thing to you, there is a God-shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And I want to say, yes, that is true to a very big extent. There are things in this world that we are looking for. We are looking for justice. We are looking for righteousness. We are looking for love and acceptance. And many times that is like chasing off the wind because only when we give our lives to the Lord do we really actually find life that matters. That's what I found. But what this scripture is teaching us is in God's design, He's designed us that even when we walk in perfect intimacy with Him, there is still a little hole there and that hole has been made for another human being. It's in God's design. And so when there is a longing in us for a husband or for a wife, and not everyone, this is, there are exceptions to this rule. Let me just get that clear. But predominantly that is our feeling. That is not something that is not from God. And we don't have to feel that we need to kill it or feel guilty about it. There is a godly desire in us for a spouse. It's godly. It's not a bad thing. And I want to take it even further because in Genesis 1 verse 27, if I'm not mistaken, it teaches us that not only do we have a desire for a spouse, (laughs) but we have a desire for sex. Now I'm not getting any amens. (laughs) It's so awkward. (laughs) It's God-given. It's God-given. And listen to me, it's because, like, don't misunderstand me, yeah? A fire is God-given, and it's great if you make it in a fireplace and not in the middle of this room. It doesn't mean it's not from God, but it's from God in its proper place. Again, this is within the marriage covenant that this is destined to be. So, Genesis 1 verse 28a says, And God blessed them... And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So here we see that God not only gave them a desire for companionship, but he also gave them a desire for intimacy, mostly fleshed out within sex. God says, be fruitful and multiply. When God said that, you know what he did? He gave you a sex drive. And you know what a sex drive does? A sex drive makes you want to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) it's becoming (laughs) it's becoming increasingly difficult listen I'm not trying to give my opinion as much as possible I'm trying to hide behind scripture tonight I'm trying to be funny a little bit but it's actually the truth (laughs) it's actually the truth it's like 
God gave me a sex drive, therefore I want to have sex. That's a true thing. I did this at a youth conference. I said, everyone, please say after me, God gave me a sex <laughs> Therefore, I want to have sex. Then I said, turn to the person next to you and say... <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't know I didn't know that Andrew Seeley's daughter Enya was there so <laughs> anyway it's the Bible it's not me <laughs> here's the problem here's the problem with that God has given it to you. And, and remember the analogy that it's a God thing. God wants there to be a fire, but God wants that fire to not to be in the fireplace, within the covenant of marriage, with your own husband, with your own wife, and not in another place. And so what we do is this fire that is kindled within us, if you are not married, and even when you are married, because here's the thing, I thought that maybe some of those bad sexual desires or the sinful part of it would disappear the moment I get into marriage, Here's a wake-up call for you. It does not. It follows you into marriage. So for the unmarried and for the married, what we need to realize is God has destined our sexual desires and the outflow of our sexual desires to be ultimately fulfilled within the marriage covenant with a husband or with a wife. And many people have this theory, man, try it out. You have to, you have to take a car for a t- test drive before you decide if you want to buy it. But statistically, people... You are in monogamous relationships, only one wife and one husband. Statistically, they rate their sex life better than people who sleep around, statistically. It's a crazy thing. It goes so against the culture that says everything else to us. And so what, anyway, what happens is God has put this desire in us. And when you are single, it is an incredibly difficult thing. And when you are married, because if that thing does, is, does not have a place yet, some people are called to celibacy. That's a different discussion. But if you can't find that outflow yet, what do you do with it? Because it's impossible to kill because God put it in there. All you can do with it is you can manage it. And we need to manage it well until it can be made in the right place. And when it's made in the right place, when you are married, you need to keep it in the right place. Because everything in you, when it's difficult for that fire to burn within your marriage, you want to try and look for outflows in other places. I can put up my hand and attest that still sin is still knocking on your door. It's not like an attractive lady or an attractive man stops being attractive the moment you get married. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not like some of your sinful desires just immediately go away the moment you get married. So we need to manage those things and bring it into the marriage covenant. And so what is the solution in the Bible for us? And I'm going countercultural here because I, this, the Bible is so countercultural. Firstly, it makes it very clear throughout the Bible that the only possible way is for that not to be, the only right way is for that not to be done in a sinful way. You, we, we're going to get to this later, but you, a helper was made that is fit for you. The only right way is sex with your husband or your wife. Pornography is not the way. Masturbation is not the way. It's not the way. I'm not condemning you here. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. I understand it is not the way. Someone of the same sex, it is not the way of God. It's not fit. It doesn't fit together. We'll get to that later. But it was made to fit together. And so we look for those things in so many other places except for looking in the marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8 to 9 says, this is, um, 
This is such an interesting thing because if I say that I'm unmarried, listen, don't use the scripture as ammunition to say I can't control myself. You need to control yourself, but, this is, but just listen to what it says. To the unmarried, if you're unmarried, this is for you. And the widows, if you have a husband or a wife that has passed away, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This does not give us an excuse to burn with passion, but it says it's better to then rather trust God and say, God, give me my spouse while I control my passion. Am I making sense? This is, I'm, please don't use this as ammunition for sin. It's not that. It's saying if it's difficult, then just start praying even more. Like God, give it to me in that way. And that is, this is just my opinion. This is not the Lord. This is Lenin speaking. I think it's becoming increasingly difficult as in our society we get married later in life. It's becoming increasingly difficult actually to, uh, to, to stay from sin because I think it's longer and longer when your hormones are at their peak that you need to keep self-control. And we don't have an excuse. We have to do it. But I think it's even more difficult than it was years ago. And for married people, I didn't give this scripture, but in Proverbs 5, verse 18 to 19, if you can see, if you can find it, Proverbs 5, verse 18 to 19. I don't know if you can get it. I can read it if you don't find it. Proverbs, uh, uh, Proverbs 5, verse 18 to 19. <clears throat> Can I hear it? Of my technique, yes. Should I read it? I'm just going to read it. Okay. Yes, okay. So it says this to the married people. This is a proverb. It says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Next verse. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. Did you ever think you were going to hear this in church, eh? <laughs> May you ever be captivated by her love. This is, this is what we are to do. This is God's wisdom to us. That there is that desire, but the outflow of it should be within your marriage covenant. And if it is found in any place else, if it's found in hobbies, if it's found in friendships, if it's found in sleeping around, if it is found in pornography, if it is found in just ignoring, in whatever, it needs to find its fulfillment. This God-given thing needs to find its fulfillment within the marriage covenant. That is why we pray, God, help me with self-control, whether I'm single or whether I'm married. Let's look at the next parts of this verse, Genesis 2, verse 18. And this is the third prayer we're going to pray. A pray. And this prayer is, God, help me do my part. Emphasis on my part. Okay, so let's go through the three prayers again. Firstly, God, help me do it your way. Let's say that. One, two, three. God, help me do it your way. Then, God help me with self-control. One, two, three. God help me with self-control. Then God help me do my part. Okay. It says, Genesis 2 verse 18, I'm basically, there's so much in this. Every single word is powerful as it is in the word of God. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. We spoke about that. I'm going to speak about the next few words and next week we'll carry on with fit for him. It says, I will make him a helper. Now, modern society loathes the word helper because it is a demeaning word. It is a word that says that the woman is lower than the man. 
And I want to prove to you from the Bible that I don't think that is the case. It just speaks about her role that she takes in the marriage. It is not a demeaning thing. It is not derogatory. Psalm 33 verse 20 speaks about our Father, our God. It says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. We just said the woman is the helper. So praise God, you can say, I'm like the Father. Who is our help um, and our shield? John 14, verse 16, Jesus says the following, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, speaking about the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. So hear what Jesus is saying. Firstly, we know the Father is our helper. How amazing is that? He is actually much bigger than us, but he, in his goodness, he says, I will come alongside and I will help you. How beautiful of, of the Father God, eh? Doesn't have to do that. Then Jesus says, I will send you another helper, meaning who was the helper before him? It was Jesus. I'll send you another one. Jesus is our helper. He comes and he lays down his life. Philippians 2 teaches this to us. He says that he, was, he came from heaven, but in his humility, he said, I will make myself like a human being, even to the point of dying on the cross. What is that if it's not helping us? If you are here and you do not know Jesus, I want to say that is what Jesus did for you. He came and he wants to help you get into a relationship with him. Then he said, I will send another, the Holy Spirit, who will be your helper. And so, woman, I want to say that it is an honorable thing to be an, a helper in the marriage covenant. It is not a demeaning or derogatory thing. The world is going to preach to you that it is bad, that you ought to take the next step. You ought to be higher. But the Christian ethic and the Christian value for us always, for men and for women, is always esteem someone else as higher than you esteem yourself. Always do that. And so one of the most difficult but one of the most liberating things in the marriage covenant is to do your part without expecting the other person to do their part. And it is to do your part even when they do not do their part. And so wives, the Bible is speaking to you here. In other places, it speaks to the husband and the wife here. It does actually because both of us have, have our role. But I want to speak about this word helper. We are to be the helper in the marriage covenant even if our husbands do not do it perfectly. And I'm telling you, we do not do it perfectly. And we always want to go to the exceptions. What if there is abuse? What if there is ABC? Which is true and valid, but you cannot take that and throw away the rule. We can speak about those things when we get there. But generally, we are to say, I am to be the helper, even when things are not going my way exactly. And so the woman must do what the Bible tells the woman to do. The man must do what the Bible tells the man to do. And it's not up to the man to hold the Bible in front of the woman and say, look, you must be my helper. You must submit. That is not what the Bible says to you. That is abuse. <laughs> it's not what you're supposed to do. Then you need to let the Bible abuse you out of abusing your wife. It's not what it's supposed to do. The wife cannot stand and say, say yes, I will submit to you if you lay down your life for me like Christ, Christ laid down his life for the church. Then I will submit. Because what we do then is we come to a stalemate, but God says, I hold the woman accountable for how she does her part according to the Bible. I hold the man accountable for how he does his part according to the Bible. Does that make sense? That is why we need to say, Lord, help me to do it my way. Uh, help me to do it your way. Sorry. <laughs> help me to do, help me to do, <laughs> that's the selfish thing. Help me to do my part is actually what we need to say. Because it's so interesting, when we look at this concept, submission is such a swear word for us today, and I better start landing. 
Um, but actually, it's such a normal thing in the Bible. Children are called to submit to their parents, and that's right and good when done in a proper way. Can there be abuse? Sure. And then we speak about the abuse. But generally, they are to do that. It's good for them. There is blessing bestowed upon them when they do. We are to submit to the government. Every time you drive on a road and you drive in the speed limit, you are in submission. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. Every time you put your trash can out on the right day, you are in submission to the government. It's not a bad thing generally. And we are submit to submit to God. So submission should not be a swear word to us when understood rightly. So the Bible does call women to be this. The Bible says here, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, it says that woman was made from the man. Meaning came from, meaning she was made lower. She was made as a helper for him. It says woman was made for the man, which again speaks of that same thing. It says that God brought the woman to the man. It says woman is named by the man, and that happens twice. Naming is, is, a, is, is um, a, a picture of authority. But then it also says that when the woman and the man sinned, that God spoke to Adam and said in Romans 5, why did you sin? So we like to look at submission and say that is the horrible thing to be in submission, but I would say that it is a blessing to be in submission. <laughs> because Adam was then the one. If you're a husband and a wife, if the husband does not do it the proper way, but you do it your way and you can stand before God, God will keep your husband accountable. He will sort out your husband. He will be the one that bears the responsibility for how he follows Christ as his head, and you will be the one that bears responsibility for how you follow your husband. All right? Am I making sense? I don't want to go into too much detail. This is like a, this is a three-part series on its own. But I want to say that it is biblical for each of us to do our part. And so, women, if you are unmarried here, if you go and you want to find a spouse and you want to pray for a spouse, then I want to say at least pray for someone that you think that they are in submission to God. Because if you don't see that, why do you want us to be in submission to them? If you look at the li their lives and you look at the decisions that they make and you do not think those are wise decisions under the counsel and guidance of God, then don't go there. Rather pray for the right person. Men, if you cannot be under the governance and submission of God, then it is not the right time for you to try and lead a woman. First be under the leadership of God. God help me to do my part. Okay. And so just in short, what this means is in a marriage, this is again going to burst your bubble and I'm ending with this, but a husband and wife, is not always, they're not always going to agree. Surprise. <laughs> You're not going to agree about the way that you need to discipline your children. Not always. You're not going to agree about where you should live, what you should drive, how you should spend your money, how you should save, how you should invest. And that is a really difficult thing. And we, so we are faced with the conundrum, but I believe the Bible does give us a solution. It does say when you come to that place and the one is not outright sin, because then it's a different story. If it's not sin, ultimately where we come is the wife needs to then come under and, and give that decision over to the man. And you can do it another way. You can say, no, but all, both of us are in charge. And you know what's going to happen then? The woman is going to take charge with the children. The husband is going to take wife uh, charge with the finances, and it's just going to be a mush. Or you can flip a coin and say, okay, this time you decide, this time you decide. 
but it is normal in a relationship to come to a stalemate, two respectful people. I'm not speaking about sin, speaking about normal things. That's why there needs to be open communication in the marriage. Speak about these things. Speak about your desires. Come to a place of unity and ultimately try in your best to get onto the same page so that as little as possible, you need to come under, the, under that place. But if need be, women are to do that and men are to do that in a godly way as well. Okay, let's stand. So this is obviously a different type of series. <laughs> and for you, where you're standing now, it, I think some of you might be convicted, I think especially uh, about trying to make that fire in the wrong place. I think there might be something, I actually feel like there might be something of that, and then we need to come before God and, and repent. But this is a different type of series. Some of this will be something that carries you forward and is not necessarily so applicable now, but it needs to be... We need to have a good theology so that we can have good marriages, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just end for us in prayer, and we are gonna, we're going to pray those three things together. Those of you who want, these are dangerous prayers, actually. <laughs> but when we do it, our marriages will look so radically different to the world. When we allow God into these areas, oh man, it's going to be a testimony to the world. So we're going to pray three things in a moment. We're going to pray, God, help me to do this thing your way, to be single in your way, to be a husband your way, to be a wife your way, to be a man your way, to be a woman your way, to follow your rules and your guidance and not the guidance of this world. Secondly, we're going to say, God, help me with self-control in my marriage or in my singleness. Help me with self-control that I do not fall into sin or prematurely start opening that present that is only actually meant for your marriage day. Just shaking it around, hearing what's in there. I'm not opening it completely, but help me not to do that. Help me keep it for the marriage covenant. And then help me, God, to do my part as the husband or the wife without looking over my shoulder and saying, I will only do my part if you do your part. But to selflessly say, I will take the lower road. That is what we're going to pray in a moment. So can we, can we just close our eyes wherever you are? <clears throat> Before we pray those three prayers... Um, I'd like to give an opportunity for the most important prayer tonight. And that prayer will, and that is the most dangerous prayer that you ever can pray. It's God, I want to give my life to you. Take my life. Take my life. And so if you are here this afternoon and you've not given your life to Jesus, listen, the marriage covenant is only a symbol of the absolute unity that there can be between you and God. He created it to show us what our relationship with God can be like. A beautiful picture of a husband and a wife coming together. And in that same way, God wants to say, I want to be one with you as a husband and a wife becomes one. We spoke about him being the helper earlier. He says, I am your helper. I'm, I've come here today to be your helper, to bring you into my kingdom, to give you salvation, to forgive you of your sin. And one day when I come back for my bride, the church... I want to come back for you as well. But to come to that place, we need to turn away from our sin and say, God, here I am. I'm praying this dangerous prayer, Lord, I give my life to you. So just with all the eyes closed, no one is looking around. If you've backslidden completely, you want to come back to the Lord. Or if you want to, for the first time, give your life to him, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. All the eyes are closed, please. No one's looking around. 
If that's you, if you want to make right with God, can I ask you just for a moment to raise your hand so that I can see it? Thank you. Just keep it up. I'm just going to ask one of the leaders to come stand around you just so we can get your details as well there at the back as well. Specie, I can also look a bit of what Okay, there, David, thanks. Keep your eyes closed. If no one's with you, just raise your hand until someone's there. I'm going to ask those leaders to just pray with them in a moment while we pray our prayer. But I just want to pray for them. Let's, let's all pray for them. Wherever you are, let's pray for these people. Lord, we want to thank you for every person responding in this moment, Lord. We want to thank you that as a wedding is a celebration, Lord, it's a time where we splurge a bit of money, uh, we come together, we have a party, Lord. In that same way, today, as these people are joined to you, the Bible says that there is a party in heaven, Lord. As they come and they become joined with you, Lord. So as they take the step, Lord, we pray for your blessing upon them, Lord. We pray that you would come, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give them life and life in abundance, Lord. I just do ask you, God, that you would come into their lives. As these people pray for them, as they have coffee with them afterwards, as we follow up with them, Lord, come and do a miracle in their lives. Thank you, my God. Thank you, my God. Let's just give them a moment. Where you are, can I ask you to just pray on your own? Just pray. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. Let's just pray for them for a moment while those other people are praying for them where they are. Just lead them in a prayer. Wherever you are with them, just lead them in a prayer. Let's just take a moment. And if maybe on the keys, jump on the keys, I'm not sure. Let's just pray for them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Let's pray. You can pray out loud, actually. It makes it less awkward. <laughs> just pray out loud. Just pray for their salvation. Pray that God would come and do a miracle. This is where you are. We're not looking around. We're just praying for them. This is a big miracle. This is a big miracle. It's not too late. If you want someone to pray for you right now, just grab the person next to you and say, please pray. Please pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each of these people. Come, let's pray. Thank you, my King. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you that you bring salvation. It is a miracle from your hand. It's a miracle from your hand, God. Oh, it's a miracle from your hand, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep praying for a minute.